Great is thy faithfulness, great is thy faithfulness, morning. Christ Church Kingwood is a Christ-centered church that seeks to proclaim the gospel in both word and deed by glorifying God and making disciples of Jesus Christ. Join us now as we worship together in the ministry of the word. Great is thy faithfulness, Lord, unto me. Thank you for joining us. We are week two into Advent. Uh, we have been, we just came off a family discipleship series. If you have not joined us, we went through four weeks of that. And I think it's a great segue into Advent because there's so much opportunity to read and to focus in the home right now. And we have uh, provided you all with an Advent guide. If you haven't seen that, I would encourage you to at least look at it, see if it works for you or your family. Uh, another opportunity is we still have our two-year Bible plan and someone kind of made the joke that I, I don't know what to do. You're messing with my OCD. And uh, how can we do both? But uh, pick one. Scripture's good is what I said in prayer meeting the other morning. Uh, either one's good. We love scripture. We advocate for it every week. So I would just encourage you to pick one and read that with your family or by yourself and study God's word with us as we head into this season of Christmas and Advent. Um, John Mark last week opened us up in Advent with the Song of Mary. And so what we're gonna do is the next few weeks just look at these songs that we see in the opening of Luke. And today we're gonna to focus in on the life of Zechariah. And last week we saw Mary at this really probably scary, um, exciting, unsure time in her life as a teenager is visited by the Lord through an angel and he is telling her what is to come. And he, he's telling her of how he's about to bless this Israel of, or this nation of Israel that we just sang about. And her response is probably the response that we all want, right? Super pure. And those two responses that I see from her, there's two of them that have stuck with me my whole life. One coming from uh, John, Paul, George, and Ringo, right? Uh, when we read from the famous account um, in the Gospels in Luke 1, in verse 38, Mary said, let it be, right? Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And then her second, her second response in the opening lines of last week's text, Luke 1, and Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. Just a really pure and humble response as she has this over whelming encounter with the Lord when everything is about to change. And so God is ushering in this kingdom right here in the book of Luke. And so as we were preparing for this, John Mark and I were sitting in the cabin. I think it was him that said, hey, when we're looking at this, these three songs are happening, these proclamations, these things that the Lord is indwelling his people and out comes this, this rejoicing. And so we looked at those, these three different encounters, these three different songs in the first part of Luke. And so we get Mary, Zechariah, and next week we'll see the interaction that the angels have with the shepherds. And so even in these proclamations, three different people, three different scenarios, and yet God, despite their differences, despite their imperfections, and we see that in these stories, 
we see God's faithfulness shown in all three. And so we're going to look at that today. I'm going to do a lot of reading. So if you have your Bible, I would encourage you to go ahead and grab that, open it up. We're going to be heavy in Luke 1 as we read in that. But before we get there, uh, as we look at Zechariah, he's, he's the father of John the Baptist. He's this priest. And I want to pose the question, which I think is a continuation of where John Mark left us last week, of just asking and let this kind of ruminate in our heads as we head into Advent. But are we trusting God with where he has us right now? Are you trusting God with where he has you right now? Flaws and all. Not where you want to be. Maybe not what you wish God would reveal to you right now. But are you abiding? Are you resting? Are you living exactly in the provision and prompting of the Lord? And what we're going to see as we open up to this passage in in Luke, Zechariah had a faith issue. Outwardly, he was the man. He was leading. He was in this council of priests that were serving the Lord. But when confronted with this impossible decree from the Lord, Zechariah had a very different response than the humble and righteous response from the teenager Mary last week. And so this priest, this man that served the people of the Lord so faithfully, who was nailing it in the people's eyes. You see the, we'll see their their people, their friends that rally around them. But in this moment, he has a faith issue. But we'll see that God is faithful. And so I'm going to pray, and then we'll open up and read God's word. God, I thank you for this morning. I pray that you would open up our hearts and our ears to receive your word. I pray that it would be clear your character coming through these words that you have preserved in history for us that we get to partake in this moment of Advent and Christmas together, leading up to it, that we would be culturally different than every other people in Kingwood and the surrounding areas, that we would honor you in the way that we spend our money. God, that you would humble us in this busyness of just being scattered and going out of town and trying to take off work. I pray that you would humble our hearts, that you would gather us this morning for a moment to remind us of who you are and what you're calling us to. We love you. We trust you. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. So we're going to look at Zechariah, and as much as I want to look at the character of Zechariah today, I think this text and scripture in general always focuses way more on the character of the Lord. And so we're going to be reading, as I said, a lot And we need some backstory. So if you will look at Luke 1, even before the angels visit Mary and Elizabeth, God first approaches Zechariah by the angel Gabriel, starting in verse 5 of Luke 1. And it says this, In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abiha, and he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But they had no child, because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. Now while he was serving as priest before God, when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. 
And while the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense, and there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord. And he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the, with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. This is a pretty exciting text. And I remember hearing this. My dad used to read this account in Luke all the time at Christmas. Super faithful couple serving the Lord, right? It says Zechariah was chosen by lot. So in our minds, we immediately think random. But if you're reading this story, God knew exactly the timing of all of this, right? He intentionally chose to bless this family. So it's not a random appearance, but a calculated display of his power and love. And so he comes to this individual. I think that's really important here, that the God of the universe comes to Zechariah, a man, a dude, right? He didn't meet and call together the rulers of Rome, and he didn't gather the kings of all the countries at the time. But in Luke, we get this picture of a holy God that met with sinners. And what came to mind was that packet that we passed out. Patrick preached on it a few weeks ago, the fundamental truths. And two of them, if you remember, number four, it says God wants to talk to us. So here we see that truth being displayed in Luke. Number five says Jesus came to save sinners. And here we have God coming to these sinners, these individuals. It's a simple man and woman with not much influence or power. We definitely see that in the life of Mary or the shepherds. But he's displaying his glory. And God, knowing that we need visuals, he sends this angel as a visual to his people, a messenger of the Lord. And so he's setting the tone for not just them, but for the next few thousand years. We're still reading this account, right? So he's, he's showing up in a big way to prove to his people and now his church that through the power of Jesus, he's making this proclamation, and it starts with Gabriel here, and he ends by saying, to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. He's preparing us. And yet before he sends his one and only son, he first introduces another blessed son, and it comes to Zechariah through John the Baptist, to his mother Elizabeth, a barren woman, and his spirit would indwell this baby, as this text says, and he would go on to prepare the way of the Lord, Jesus' earthly ministry. And so when, when I'm reading this, what we would expect at this point is for the faithful, priestly, God-fearing man of Zechariah to say, amen, right? And what does he do? We know the text. We'll keep reading. Luke 1.18. And Zechariah said to the angel, how shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. And the angel answered him, 
I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. And the people were waiting for Zechariah, and they were wondering at his delay in the temple. And when he came out, he was unable to speak to them, and they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple, and he kept making signs to them and remained mute. And when his time of service was ended, he went to his home. After these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived, and for five months she kept herself hidden, saying, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among people. And so this older couple's prayers were answered, right? Gabriel said, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. But Zechariah questions the Lord, right? This faithful servant of God's temple who prays faithfully, so much so that God heard him and desired to bless his request, he now questions the Lord. And he has this moment of doubt, most likely because he was evaluating through the eyes of an old man now, right? He's an older man who longed for a son, and he had prayed, and his prayers seemed unanswered. And to our advantage, God decided to immortalize this man's failure in history, right? Great for us, not for him. But I think it is to his advantage. So many faithful followers of the Lord had this type of moment. We see this play out through the whole Old Testament, New Testament as well. Peter comes to mind. David comes to mind. But more than looking at the character of Zechariah or Mary or Elizabeth... I want to search these scriptures and continue to say, what is this revealing about the mercy and character of the Lord? Because it's all over this. And I think many of us have gone through times of discipline from the Lord. I think they can be self-induced, where we have a lapse of judgment and receive the consequences like good old Zechariah here. Or we go through a hard season that's just simply difficult because God wants to bless us. He wants to bless our homes and our workplace and our community. And in each scenario, it's humbling. In each scenario, it's the Lord revealing our pride and disciplining us as a good father does. Or it reveals our character in a good way. It might be that he's revealing it in a negative way to grow us. It might be that he's just showing us that he's already established us. He's proving himself through you so that you can be a mouthpiece to the world. And we had a scenario recently that my wife, Kelsey, came to me. And uh, it's funny because a lot of you call my kids uh, the April Angels. We had a moment in our house, and uh, it came to mind as I was writing this. But I've watched so many of your families start to parent preteens and teenagers. And I sit in an office, and I've sat in an office for years with guys that uh, I get a front row seat to how they parent. And it's really beautiful because my kids are about 10 years behind all of yours. But I laugh uh, at Patrick and Matt and John and Daniel as we talk through all these scenarios. And there's many times that I have to say, I do not envy what y'all are going through right now. But I knew, I know my time's coming, right? It's, it's inevitable. And so our time's here. It's here. We don't have teenagers yet, but we're right there. 
But our older three, and I told them I would share this, told them I would try not to embarrass them because we all learn, but dad's a pastor, so he uses them in their sermon. Our older three decided collectively to uh, kind of made a bad mood. So no jail time, nothing crazy, just a pretty normal parenting moment. But essentially, they decided to gang up together and be mean towards a certain group of people, maybe with another friend. Um, And Kelsey came to me calmly, sat down on the couch, and presented the scenario. And I was a little disappointed, but I was also like, this is it. This is my moment. Like, I've been waiting for this, right? (laughs) And Kelsey said, I don't really know what to do here. And it was kind of funny. Honestly, it was just like, I, I don't know either. Wow, I wasn't expecting that one. But I immediately had 17 ideas, right? And not that that was a good thing, but I quickly laid out a plan to Kelsey to which we both agreed was fair and would make the parenting point that God has been so kind to us. That's where my mind went. God has been so kind to us. So there is not room in our house for these kind of actions towards other people. And so I wanted to be very clear that when we go against his character, it speaks the very opposite of who God has made others to be, that when we belittle them, that that's not how he intended that to go. And also, when we act that way, it goes against how he's made us to be, to model his generosity and mercy. But it also came back by so many moments that I think it was laughable to me because I've made so many more terrible decisions than my kids have. So I was that kid growing up that just did not get it. And so I had to learn this lesson over and over and over. And so I told Kelsey, before you put the baby down, send the older three to me. And I was sitting out in the living room. They came, and I think they were expecting a lecture, which they ended up getting, but... Since I was preparing this sermon, I just began reading the passage. I read to them. And as we discussed what was happening in the story, that Zechariah was a good man who loved the Lord, he served in the temple faithfully, obviously talked to the Lord because the Lord heard his prayer, not just a selfish prayer, but a prayer for his wife. He longed for his wife to be removed from what she was feeling. And the Lord came to him through the messenger Gabriel, and up until this point, everything was going smoothly. God loved Zechariah, wanted to bless him by using him and his family in the introduction of the Savior of the universe, right? What a place of honor. It's much like we heard in, in the story of Mary. And so I asked my kids, where do you think Zechariah messed up? Where did he get off track? And they gave good answers because I think they were paying attention. They didn't know it was coming. Very unsure why dad just read 10 minutes to them. And I said, right, he didn't trust the Lord. After seeing the Lord's faithfulness and provision for years, when God shows up to Zechariah to bring blessing and answer his prayer, Zechariah says to Gabriel, prove it. Show me. And Gabriel, in a very similar tone to how God approaches Job, right? Do you hear that? He says, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. And I was sent to speak to you to bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. And so I turn to my kids and I say, hey, do you know that I love you? Yes. Do you think that if you messed up, I would kick you out of this house? No. 
And I go on with some more questions, and I say, well, that's where I find myself with you guys. Mom tells me that there's a scenario that y'all use to maybe hurt some people's feelings. And probably much like Zachariah, the, the intention was not to end up there. Zechariah probably didn't realize that when he asked the simple question to Gabriel, mainly telling the, the angel as if the angel didn't know, hey, we're old. Like, I need some proof here. This has been a long prayer. What it actually did was reveal an inconsistency in his armor, his armor of faith. And I asked my kids, do you think what you did gave glory to God? I wasn't trying to be shaming. Did you plan to be evil? No, I don't think so either. Did you plan to make this a big deal where mom and dad had to get involved? No, I don't think so. But much like Zachariah, you went against the character of God, right? Yes. He has been so faithful to us, and we make choices against his character and glory sometimes. That's called sin. But with that are consequences. God took Zachariah's speech, and so for you guys, we're going to take some privileges away for the month of December. And I want to ask, you can ask for them back, but I want you to write me a letter and tell me why at the end of December if you would like them back. And so for January, we'll slowly add those back in. But this is going to be a two-month deal so you guys can remember what happened here. But also remember what God was still doing for Zachariah despite his sin. And so if we keep going, which we picked up there with our kiddos, in Luke 1, 57 through 66, we'll keep reading. Now the time came for Elizabeth to give birth, and she bore a son. And her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown great mercy to her, and they rejoiced with her. And on the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child, and they would have called him Zechariah after his father. But his mother answered, No, he shall be called John. And they said to her, none of your relatives is called by this name. And they made signs to his father inquiring what he wanted to be called. And he asked for a writing tablet and wrote, his name is John. And they all wondered. And immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue loosed and he spoke blessing God. And fear came on all the neighbors. And all these things were talked about through all the hill country of Judea. And all who heard them laid them up in their hearts, saying, What then will this child be? For the hand of the Lord was with him. So I think God is wanting to see that he didn't just discard. He wants us to see that he didn't just throw away Zechariah, right? It was actually here through repentance of Zechariah that we get this really powerful display of the Lord's blessing that not only blesses his family, but you see it. It pulls in outside family and neighbors and friends, and it left them in hope and awe and wonder because Zechariah messed up, right? It was an opportunity. You asked, where does Zechariah repent? He repents right here in the middle of it. We don't get a clear picture or dialogue or report of that, but what we do get is to see Zechariah not questioning the Lord anymore. But he learned his lesson. He took those months of being unable to speak, maybe wounded if we apply it to some of our scenarios. When we're disciplined, we're silenced, we're quieted for this moment. So that when questioned again, that his heart would be much more aligned, aligned with the Lord 
And we clearly see this took place when Zechariah Zachariah publicly aligns his words, even with the words of Gabriel that God sent to him to share. Gabriel told him back in verse 13 that we read, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear a son, and you shall call his name John. And then as the baby is born and the neighbors begin to question Elizabeth's choice of name, Zechariah stands up as a holy priest, again, to put himself back in agreement with the Lord. And what does he write? His name is John. And immediately, the text says, his mouth was open. God immediately restored. And so I, th- I think many of us find ourselves in similar places of discipline from the Lord at different times like this. And maybe we know deep down in our bones that the Lord is faithful. He has been faithful in our lives. So often, we are clear pictures of that. So many of you have testimonies of the Lord's faithfulness. And we have been a testimony of his faithfulness to so many friends and families and neighbors, so much so that they are sitting in here with you now, that you have been faithful, that they are believers and joining you in what the Lord is doing. But there's these moments of weakness. We all have them. Maybe it's your money's held up. Maybe you just found out that the job is not there for you to return to on Monday. Maybe it's a positive cancer result. We've experienced that together in here. That your wife is going through another painful miscarriage. That you got the call that you never want to get, but mom and dad did not make it. One of your parents did not make it today. Those things are real. They're heavy. They're weighty. They're frightening. And the the inconsistency in our faith is revealed in those moments. Because even as faithful as God is and how merciful, gracious, and loving he is towards his children, we are bent towards sin. We're weak. And if we're not acting inside of his power and dependence on the Holy Spirit, it doesn't go well, not for long. And so we often see, we can't see past tomorrow, but God's always got eternity in mind. So it's easier to view this text in line with that. Why did he let Zechariah go through all of that, right? But what a loving, faithful father to discipline us even in hard times. Sometimes that's stripping away distractions for a season in order to remind us of truth. And so God is using his church to speak deep truths to the world around us, and sin can have no part in that, no part of that. And I love this passage because it focuses in on Zechariah and Elizabeth and their neighbors. And I think that's so perfect for us in Kingwood, Texas, or Porter, Texas, or New Caney, Splendora, Spring, Tomball, Livingston, who else we got? Uh, Roman forest, the woodlands. If I missed it, I'm sorry. But we have neighbors. They might be an acre away for, most, for some of you, but most of us, they are five to 10 feet, right? And God still uses our faith and faithfulness to bring neighbors in and change hearts. But it took discipline and repentance for Zachariah and his neighbors. It took Zachariah being humbled under the weight of the will of the Lord coming into a scenario that his faith was weaker than what the Lord was asking of him to trust. 
So God pulls him to the side for a season to build up Zechariah. He's taking his eyes off the things of the world. And this is a moment for us that I would say pay attention, church, in the middle of December leading to Christmas and the chaos of it. Look at what the Lord is doing and encouraging us to do. And he's reminding Zechariah that he is a God of glory and impossibility. God didn't shame him or kick him to the curb. I don't want to shun my children or stop loving them. I want to affirm them by stopping for a moment, maybe relieving them of some privileges, making them publicly face some struggle and sin, and remind them that God's glory far outweighs our good intentions or temporary desires. So I want to read four scriptures to you. And I would encourage you to write these down. You don't have to write down the entirety of the text, but just the references, and then go back and read all the scriptures around them. Really beautiful passages. 1 Corinthians 11.32, But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. God disciplines his children so that we may be preserved. That's a pretty great blessing. He allowed Jesus to be condemned that we might be saved. Ephesians 6.4, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. The point of discipline is not to wear them down, but to bring them up, to expose weakness and sinful hearts. But as parents and grandparents and friends, the point of discipline is to bring other generations back in line with the protection, as this text says, instruction of the Lord. Hebrews 12, 6. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves, and he chastises every son whom he receives. That's a weird wording for me, so I went and looked at other translations. They're all weird. He, he chastens, he scourges, the NASB says. That's not any better. It's a hard word picture. But the relief and the beauty is found in knowing that God disciplines those he loves. And I would say that would be the text if you want some time to go read Hebrews 12. It's amazing. Lastly, Revelation 3.19. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline, so be zealous and repent. And that brings those two ideas back in line. Discipline from the Lord always ends in renewal and repentance for those God gives his love to. And I think... That text, Revelation 3.19, is a perfect picture of where Zechariah goes. It's the proclamation of the promised son of Zechariah, right? The, the prophesied proclamation preparing the way of the Lord was what? To repent. Romans 2.4 says that it is the Lord's kindness that leads us to repentance. This is what we see in the life of Zechariah. God working discipline and kindness together. God would not have been kind not to expose Zechariah's untrusting heart. That would not have been a kind father. And God's method of discipline would not have been in kindness if it did not lead to repentance. 2 Corinthians 7.10 says, For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. And so there's purpose and discipline and repentance. It doesn't sound very Adventish, you know. It's not like the joy of the Lord, right? 
but it is. It takes repentance. It allows the heart to be one of Advent, longing and hope of Jesus' return to make all things new. Zachariah's son, John, would go on with the same hope of his father to lead the way of Jesus with a resounding and iconic phrase from the book of Matthew that says, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And in the next chapter over in Matthew, Jesus himself will take up the same torch and say the exact same phrase. They're working in line with the Holy Spirit of what God willed. And so repentance is necessary and a beautiful gift from the Lord. It's not a punishment that I want to leave this with us where Zechariah is headed in the, the end of Luke 1. We're going to read this. So as you hear the restoration and hope in these words, knowing it's coming from a broken older man, that he had prayed and longed for the Lord to bless, I want to ask the same question. I want this to be a continual question that we ask through the season of Christmas, Advent, the month of December, are you trusting God with where he has you right now, even as you wait? Even when all is not right, or do we need to repent and allow the Lord to mature and strengthen and remind us of who he is? And I'll submit to you that we all need to repent so that we may mature and be strengthened and be reminded of who he is. Let's read this last text, the song of Zechariah, Luke 1, 67. And his father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. As he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear. In holiness and righteousness before him all of our days. And you, child will be called the prophet of the Most High. For you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. Let's pray. God, you are the way of peace. God, we have all been a people sitting in darkness, and you have made a way. God, you worked through Israel. You gave your son so that we could be pulled into this covenant that was never meant to be ours. And I pray that we would get to rest in that peace this morning. And for those who do not know that peace, God, that you would turn their hearts. It is not going to be through songs that we sing this morning or words preached, but it will be through the movement of your Holy Spirit and your will. And so we just ask that you would work and do exactly what you desire, that all men would come to know you, and that in this place today that that would be a reality, that you would draw the hearts of our children despite 
our weaknesses and sin and insecurities, that you would draw their hearts to you. God, that you would work regardless of what's going on in this room, what we bring in or what we're gonna take out. I pray that you would be honored. I pray that we would humble ourselves in repentance so that we may grow, that we may be a better example and model to our neighbors and our kids and family and coworkers of what a child of God looks like, redeemed and restored. Pray that we would just be able to worship this morning, that you would meet us as you met Zechariah, and that we would see seasons of discipline or seasons of just great joy and proclamation that this would be for our good and for your glory. We pray this in the name of your son. Amen. Praise God Thank you for worshiping with us through the preaching of God's Word. We exist to glorify God by making disciples. We would love to have you join us in person as we gather together on Sundays at 10 a.m. at the Covenant Preparatory School on Hamlin Road in Kingwood, Texas. To learn more about Christ Church Kingwood, visit our website at ChristChurchKingwood.org.